Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to Explorers Guild, where we explore the vast worlds of gaming lore. This episode is diving back into World of Warcraft, this time focusing on some parts of the past, present, and history of the human contingent of the Alliance, and assumes that you have watched my first episode in the series, which gives you an outline of the basic universal events. Once again, a disclaimer, I am by no means a lore master. I'm just using resources available to anyone online and throwing them all into a podcast format for your easy listening. There's absolutely a lot more detail I've set aside for now, and a lot of characters unmentioned for no reason other than limited time. When you first open up WoW, you're faced with an immediately impactful choice. Who are you going to fight alongside? The Horde? Or the Alliance? Some world events in-game mean that, ultimately, you'll both be working for the same cause, but the rest of the time, well, you're basically at each other's throats. A typical WoW server experience involves questing around the world of Azeroth, exploring zones that are strongly held by one faction, and tentatively dipping into zones controlled by the other. Inevitably, you'll come across a player from the other side, and you can fight them for honor points, or just leave them alone. The Alliance currently control around half of Azeroth, with their seat of power held chiefly in the iconic city of Stormwind in the Eastern Kingdoms. This was not always the case, and while we see the Alliance as a strong, honourable group in present day, their connections have been tested and their homes decimated over and over. When the Orc Gul'dan on the planet Drenor and Medivh on the world of Azeroth opened the portal that allowed the Orcish Horde to flood into Azeroth, the continent and kingdom of Stormwind suffered heavily. The Horde, influenced and some tainted by the demons of Sargeras' Burning Legion, had the element of surprise over the locals of Azeroth. They quickly spread and took over parts of the Eastern Kingdoms before Gul'dan, the Orcish instigator, pushed the Horde to invade Stormwind. The Horde were faced here with their first real resistance, failing at their attempt to storm the city and falling back to lick their wounds. While the Stormwind leadership sought to drive the Horde back, they were weakened with the absence of one of their most important strategic leaders, Lord Anduin Lothar, who was on a scouting mission. This absence led to a secondary attack by the Horde and the eventual assassination of Stormwind's king, Lane Rin, with Lothar returning too late to save him. All he could do was gather the survivors and flee with them to safety in the north, ending up in the subcontinent and kingdom of Lordaeron. Lothar and the young son of the deceased King Rin pleaded with the king of Lordaeron, and the alliance of Lordaeron was formed to bolster the human kingdoms in their fight against these new, mysteriously savage, orcish invaders. This was the First War. The Horde didn't stop. They pressed their attack in pursuit of the survivors, forcing newcomers to join the Alliance, like the Bronzebeard Dwarves, and gnomes of the third subcontinent, Kazmodan. 
High elves uncharacteristically pledge their allegiance to pay back a debt once owed, and eventually the seven human kingdoms, gnomes, dwarves, and elves were united in their fight, forming the Alliance. Lothar was named the supreme commander of the Alliance forces, for he was a formidable champion, importantly bringing Admiral Dalin Proudmoore, Uther the Lightbringer, and Archmage Khadgar, the since-defeated Medivh's apprentice, under him as his lieutenants. After years of fighting the Horde, the iconic Lothar's crusade against the invaders tragically ended when his command was ambushed during the Second War at Blackrock Spire, near Stormwind. Separated from his allies, Lothar was forced into one-on-one -on -one combat with the Horde Warchief, the infamous Orgrim Doomhammer, where after a lengthy and impassioned battle, Lothar's sword was shattered and his skull was eventually crushed by the Doomhammer weapon itself. The Horde theorized the death of such an important strategic force would shatter the resolve of the Alliance, but in fact, it drove them to fight on harder and eventually defeat the Horde at Blackrock Spire, destroying the Dark Portal that connected Azeroth and Drenor, where the Horde had originated from. The ruins were very closely guarded by the Alliance for a very long time, until this weakness, this tear in the very fabric of reality would be exploited once more by the Burning Legion, that, however, is a story for another time. After this long, drawn-out war, you can imagine the Eastern Kingdoms, where the Orcs had landed, were in pretty bad shape. Stormwind in particular had definitely seen better days, and with the Horde's main invasion quashed for the time being, attention turned to dealing with the long-term management of the threat and rebuilding the once beautiful lands. King Tyrannus of Lordaeron took it upon himself to take charge of the relief effort in this brave new world, and as tends to happen in politics, he made decisions not everyone was happy with. These unpopular decisions led to the dissolution of a large part of the Alliance, with allies growing more and more distant, and some, like the High Elves, choosing to cut ties entirely. Not too soon after, the Alliance had lost around half their allies. Some of these would return with time and tragedy forcing their hand, and others were not so lucky. Let's take a look back at the leadership of Stormwind, as the events that take place around the King are pretty central to the plot of the Alliance history. With the blessing of King Terranas of Lordaeron, Stormwind was slowly rebuilt, and some refugees began making their way back, including Prince Varian Rin, son of the late Lane Rin, who Lothar was too late to save. Terranas supported Varian and treated him as an equal, despite Varian's relatively young age, creating a strong bond between the two leaders, with Terranas becoming an almost father figure to their young prince, made even stronger by Varian's close friendship to Terranas' other son, Arthas Menethil. Remember that name. Crowned King of Stormwind at the age of 18, Varian oversaw the rebuilding of the once great city with the expertise of a particular set of builders known as the Stonemasons. Trusting that the House of Nobles that helped govern Stormwind would be capable of continuing the rebuilding effort, Varian nobly joined his army in pushing back remaining pockets of Horde and restoring the wider kingdom, and the relative peace that followed enabled him to fall in love, marry, and conceive a child. This child was named Andwin, out of respect for the great fallen Andwin Lothar. But sadly, a happily ever after was not on the cards. 
Stormwind City was completed to an incredibly high spec, beautiful architecture and a stunning keep. The stonemasons had, true to their word, done a fantastic job. And now, of course, they wanted paying. The House of Nobles Varian had trusted to negotiate in his stead had become corrupted from within due to their own greed. And when met with the cheekily overly optimistic demands from the stonemasons, they simply refused to pay. And this was a problem, despite much effort and the support of his wife in paying their owed dues, Varian could not seem to solve to any satisfaction from either party. This coincided with the downfall of the Alliance of Lordaeron. Varian vowed to stand by Terranus, who had helped them in their hour of need, but times were looking bleak. The stonemasons, unhappily, began to riot, taking to the streets of Stormwind in anger, demanding their long-owed payments, and then some. This infighting came to a head when during the savage riots, a rock was thrown by a member of the Stonemasons Guild, striking the head of Varian's beloved wife, accidentally killing her. Varian was devastated, a word that could not even begin to paint the picture of his endless grief, and weakened by depression, he left himself unfortunately vulnerable. The Stonemasons fled to Westfall and became the Defias Brotherhood, who you may fight today in Westfall if you wish. While Varian grieved, Azeroth faced another catastrophic threat. The Third War. King Terranus Menethil of Lordaeron treated Varian as a son, and Varian was close friends with Terranus's actual son, Arthas Menethil. Arthas learned the ways of the light via Uther Lightbringer, becoming a paladin and wielding the mighty warhammer known as Light's Vengeance. Over time, reports of unrest began to filter in from the distant Northlands, a plague was spreading, affecting anyone who came into contact with it. Young Arthas, alongside a longtime friend Jaina Proudmoore, set off to investigate the plague and its origin, finding a necromancer had cursed the grain stores in a nearby town. And it was too late. The grain had already been sent out to the surrounding towns and villages. The investigators set off in chase of the necromancer Keltuzad, who had caused this abomination of a plague, and ended up in the town of Strathome. They found out along the way that in fact this plague wasn't set to just decimate the population, but was instead set to turn those afflicted into undead, creating an army known as the Scourge. Despite advice on the contrary, Arthas felt he had to try and defend his people of Strathome, but once he arrived, he realised it was too late. The innocent townspeople had already ingested the grain, and before his eyes were turning into an army of the undead, he felt he only had one real option, to defeat this army before it moved on and took over the lands he called home. And that meant slaughtering thousands of innocent townspeople before they turned undead. Understandably, his long-term paladin mentor Uther was horrified against this plan, refusing to follow an order of such consequence. And in response, Arthas accused him of treason. Uther his paladins and Jaina Pradmore left Arthas, unable to sit by and watch him kill his own people. And so, as Arthas began his siege upon Stratholme, he was confronted by a dreadlord demon known as Malganus. As you may have guessed, the Scourge was the brainchild of Dark Titan Sargeras and his demon army. There were definitely bigger things at play here. The involvement of Arthas Menethil was no coincidence, but instead, a careful part of their plan as they slowly stripped Arthas of his humanity, piece by piece. In his pursuit of power to defeat the Scourge, Arthas desperately seeked out a powerful but cursed runeblade known as Frostmourne, 
and taking it for his own was the last straw in breaking his humanity. With his soul lost, he became the very first Death Knight, agent of the Lich King, eventually destroying the demon Marganus and completing his transition, leading him to take the Scourge in fight against his very own kingdom, Lordaeron. He'd basically done a full 180. I could talk about the rise of the Lich King in detail, but I'm going to leave that for a future episode as it deserves to have focus all of its own, and I kind of want to see things through the wider lens of the Alliance just for this episode. So, as we mentioned earlier, Varian fell into a very deep depression and the Third War began. Arthas took his scourge to Lordaeron, murdered his own father, King Terranus Menethil, and the fight against the Burning Legion began in earnest. Lordaeron was in tatters, and the seat of the Alliance returned to Stormwind once more, as the Scourge managed to open portals that allowed demons through into Kalimdor. After the Second War, much of the Horde had fled the Eastern Kingdoms in desperation, with some ending up in the continent of Kalimdor. There they came face to face with Mage Jaina Proudmoore, who had taken the advice offered to Arthas and fled across the seas with her own people. After much fighting and problem-solving, an uneasy alliance was formed with the Horde so both parties could unite to help fight the Lich King, as the Scourge was a threat to the existence of the Horde and Alliance alike. Sort of a greater good vibe. This would be the first, but not the last time the Horde and the Alliance worked together to defeat a greater threat. The Third War met its dramatic conclusion in Kalimdor, with the undead armies and the demonic Burning Legion clashing with the coalition of Alliance, New Horde, and Night Elves, bringing an end to the time known as the Age of Chaos, spanning from when the Dark Portal first opened, the First, Second, and Third Wars, and the Plague of Lordaeron. Chaos indeed. Shortly after this time, a peace summit was announced and Varin was due to attend, but once he left the comfort of his home and his young son, his position was compromised and Varian was suddenly abducted and taken away to a mysterious island. The Stonemasons, now known as the Defias Brotherhood, had risen once again to cause him grief. On the island, he was tortured in excruciating ways, with a particular bad guy at the centre of it all, Onyxia. Onyxia was a dragon who could take the form of a human. Her father was Deathwing, who was the centre of huge catastrophes of his own, but Onyxia was angling for control of the Kingdom of Stormwind and had orchestrated the conflict of the House of Nobles and the Stonemasons and had infiltrated the royal advisers. Onyxia used the human form of Lady Katrana Presta to accomplish this. Mysterious forces were at hand here, dragons, betrayals, and citifuge, but we'll focus for now on Varian and the Rin family. Varian's very soul was split in two on this island, and he awoke staring at a direct copy of himself. Varian's copy fell into the sea, straight into the waiting hands of the fiendish Naga, and the real Varian escaped this torturous prison and found himself washed up on the shores of Durotar where he fell straight into the hands of a travelling orc caravan. The orcs saw him as a fighter and decided to use him as an arena gladiator for their entertainment, a little bit like what happens to Thor in Thor Ragnarok. Slowly Varian began to forget his past, his purpose, and was given the name Logosh by the orcs who watched him fight. He eventually escaped, ending up in the capital city of the night elves Darnassus, where by happen chance he found Jaina Proudmoore. Having lost all his memory and probably looking a little bit different after all the pain, fighting and other intense life events he'd experienced since their last meeting, Logosh was a mystery to Jaina, a mystery she was curious to unravel. 
When she reached deep into his memories and realized his true identity, they set out on Jaina's private fleet to Stormwind so Varian could reclaim his throne. A future Varian was not certain he even really wanted anymore. During Varian's extended absence, his son, little Anduin Rin, was named king in his place, advised by Lady Presta and the great paladin Bolvar, king regent. Onyxia not only was Lady Presta, she also used an amulet to control Bolvar himself, influencing political decisions that were ultimately intended to weaken the Alliance's position. Lady Presta claimed the Defias were holding Varian ransom, and after a tax was levied and the citizens of Stormwind coughed up all the gold, the king was released to great celebration. But something wasn't right. This Varian was cold, selfish, greedily and strangely infatuated with Lady Presta, uncaring about the state of his allies. Young Anduin noticed this change in his father, and it was not long before Logosh, aka the real Varian Rin, returned to Stormwind and thwarted Lady Presta's plans, calling her out in the keep by her true name, Onyxia. A fight ensued, Onyxia showing her true monstrous dragon form, and when the two Varians turned upon each other, it was only Anduin's intervention that stopped their battle, urging them to work together to defeat the real enemy. With this, Onyxia swept Anduin up in one great claw and teleported away to her lair, leaving both Varians to come to terms with their loss and deduce a plan of attack. Chasing her to her lair, the fight was renewed, with Onyxia attempting to finish what she had intended to do on the Island of Abduction, casting a spell to kill Varian once and for all. His double stepped in front of the spell, intending to take the brunt of it himself, but Varian could not let that sacrifice happen, leaping into the rescue, with the resultant spell hitting them both, fusing them together. Onyxia was beheaded and defeated, as is the case when you're beheaded, and most recently her scales were used to create the cloak you wear to protect against the corruption of the old god Nazoth. And that was the end of that. Sort of. When the demonic army of the Burning Legion found their way back onto Azeroth once more in the Legion expansion, Varian led the assault personally on the Broken Shore, well aware of the ridiculous power the Legion had, knowing he might not make it out alive. The Horde and Alliance once again worked together to defeat this common foe, but the Horde's armies were overwhelmed and were forced to retreat, to the disbelief of the now vulnerable Alliance forces. When they tried to retreat in response, their gunship was attacked violently by a demonic entity. Many soldiers fell overboard to their demise and Varian was left dangling helplessly from a rope ladder. Realizing he might be the only hope of the gunship actually escaping, Varian lets go and harnesses the momentum from his huge fall to strike the demonic entity in the head, defeating it and desperately killing as many fell beings as he could in the moments after, before he was struck and impaled. The infamous demon-infused warlock Gul'dan, who opened the Dark Portal right in the beginning, stands over him, gloating that the mighty King Varian's death was for naught, and a defiant Varian replies with, For the Alliance, before his body is shattered by fell energy, killing him outright. And so it was left upon Anduin Rin to command the Alliance against their ever-stacking foes that only seemed to grow more and more powerful and numerous with every passing battle. Before the Legion attacked, he played a large role in helping the Pandarans of Pandaria in their fight against Dark Spirits, gaining their help in the Alliance and befriending Black Dragon Prince Rathian in the process. 
something that would serve him well in the coming years. He values peace over vengeance despite everything, and his ultimate goal is to end the bloodshed in Azeroth once and for all. King Anduin has fought in many battles of his own, chiefly against primary antagonist Sylvanas Windrunner, whose seemingly random acts of gratuitous murder have caused concern for Horde and Alliance alike. And this war ended when Sylvanas abandoned the Horde. So that's the Rin bloodline and an overview into the history of the now High King of the Alliance, who, by the way, is not much older than 18 years old as of the most recent expansion. He certainly lived a life. Jaina Proudmoore is another important member of the Alliance we've lightly touched upon, so let's chat about this delightfully badass lady who is now considered the most powerful human sorceress alive. Jaina is the daughter of the ruler of a large group of islands west of the Eastern Kingdoms called Kul Turas. These islands are very significant in the recent expansion, with the main hub Borellis becoming your home base for much of the high-level content in this expansion. When growing up, Jaina was found to have magical talent, and sought to nurture this talent in the mage-centric city of Dalaran. Her noble bloodline meant she inevitably came into contact with King Terranus of Lordaeron and his son Arthas, and in fact, they became friends. Or more than friends, even due to marry at one point before Arthas decided to end the relationship so they could both concentrate on their destined paths in life, with Jaina studying and Arthas having his duties in Lordaeron. When the undead plague struck northern Lordaeron, Jaina was sent to meet with Arthas and aid in the investigation, following Arthas to Stratholme, where she witnessed his decision to kill the townspeople within to stop the spread of the plague. She stood by Uther when he challenged the young prince and they left together. She was visited by a mysterious prophet, later revealed to be the resurrected Medivh, who sensed her leadership abilities and warned her to flee west to the continent of Kalimdor. And so she did. When she reached Kalimdor, she encountered orcs and immediately clashed with their troops, but ultimately managed to broker a deal with a group of orcs and the leaders of the night elves Malfurion, which by the way is an incredible name, and Tyrande, where they fought together to defeat the Burning Legion at Mount Hyle. After this, Jaina and her band of refugees left to an island outpost and founded the port island of Theramore. Her father, Lord Admiral Dalin, leader of Kul Tiras, paid her a visit, and seeing the nearby orcs who were living peacefully alongside Theramore, assaulted them, beginning a mini-war where Jaina pleaded him not to. Dalin's aggressiveness caused his death at the hands of the Horde, the sudden and expected death of their leader sent Kulturus into shock, leading them to separate and isolate themselves from the Alliance and exist in solitude. From this point onwards, the people of Kulturus held a deep hatred in their hearts for Jaina Proudmoore, for what they considered a betrayal of her family when she would not fight alongside her father. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Once the third war concluded, Jaina created the peace summit to try and unite the Orcish horde she fought alongside and the remaining alliance powers. And that's where Varian disappeared. And when eventually Varian as Logosh arrived in Theramore, Jaina was the one to help him figure out his true identity as the King of Stormwind and fought alongside him against Anixia. Jaina continuously fought for peace between the Orcs and the Alliance, at some points even taking direct action against Alliance forces when they were sent to instigate war. Like teleporting an entire army away, she doesn't do things by halves. And after the Lich King's defeat, she shows sadness and regret at her old friend Arthas's path and eventual demise. I mean, I imagine your ex-fiancé taking his duties to the extreme, going rogue and eventually losing their humanity before commanding the forces for a supremely powerful supervillain and succumbing to the combined forces of the Dwellers of Azeroth must be a pretty overwhelming thing to deal with. Jaina was already an incredibly powerful sorceress, but an event occurred that left her with more power, and most importantly, fueled with an incredible rage. The Horde wished to aggressively expand in Kalimdor, with the ever-present tensions between Horde and Alliance rising to new levels. During this time, Jaina was tasked with searching for an incredibly important arcane magic relic, which unfortunately was stolen by the Horde and used to create a weapon of true devastation. Rather than the uneasy truce Jaina had hoped for, both factions headed for an all-out war, with the Horde marching upon Theramore and Jaina being forced to call upon her allies for help defending her hard-worked war city. It soon became clear that the Horde's advance upon Theramore was in fact a ruse designed specifically to gather the Alliance's best forces in one place so they could use their new devastating weapon to best effect. This weapon was a magic-infused mana bomb, and it fell upon Theramore like a nuke, with Jaina and a few closest allies saved only by the sacrifice of a great mage who funneled them into a portal, shielding them from the blast. While they weren't outright killed by the mana bomb, that didn't mean they were unscathed. Jaina awoke, arcane energy radiating from her very being, her hair now shock white, furious with the betrayal of everything she'd worked so hard for. When she saw how the city of Theramore had been absolutely obliterated, her uncharacteristic anger led her to destroy the Horde looters scattered among the ruins and head for Stormwind to mount support for a brutal counterattack. She was rebuffed by those not blinded by rage who wanted to wait until the time was right to attack, so she struck out on her own to work towards revenge, taking the magic arcane relic that had enabled the bomb to be built with her. Eventually, she discovered the true power of this relic, the Focusing Iris, and was able to utilize it to her advantage to save Alliance fleets from certain destruction, showing restraint in the face of unspeakable rage that spoke volumes of her character. This was a turning point for Jaina Proudmoore. Shortly after this, she applied to be a novice member of the Council of Kirin Tor, which is essentially a wizard council for the most elite magi of Azeroth, and she was rejected. Instead, offered the recently opened position of leader of the council due to the restraints she had shown with her new power when she could have just destroyed everything in her path. She accepted this role and left the relic safe with the Kirintor council for safeguarding. This new position made her the de facto leader of the mage city of Dalaran, 
Dalaran is quite a fascinating place itself, the victim of an intense crusade by a powerful dragon to remove all magical use on Azeroth. The mages of Kirin Tor in defence had in fact taken the entire city and removed it from the earth, creating a floating island that travelled to different focal points on Azeroth depending on where the need arises. Very interesting indeed. Jaina used her position within the city of Dalaran to try and once again mend relations between the Horde and the Alliance. Despite her hatred for the Horde leadership, Jaina wished Dalaran to be neutral, a place for hope, to set an example of coexistence. Sadly, her perhaps naive hope led to yet more betrayal by the people within her very command, leading her to take drastic action that would ultimately sever relations with the Blood Elves in the city, driving them to ally with the Horde. She took a hard line against the Horde's current leadership, Garrosh Hellscream, and after much bloodshed had her opportunity during the Alliance's siege of the Horde capital Orgrimmar, a raid you will play in the game. There, Garrosh was defeated to stand trial for his numerous war crimes, including the deployment of the mana bomb that destroyed Theramore. Jaina encouraged Varian at this point, with Garrosh defeated, to dismantle the Horde, to avoid future betrayals, to end any opportunity for future war. But Varian could see how the Horde had been split by Garrosh's actions. Many within the Horde had been entirely opposed to Garrosh's insane lust for power, and instead, Varian showed mercy, warning them that if they ever sunk to such depraved levels again, they would not see such kindness from the Alliance. As her character develops, Jaina sees herself becoming what she once fought against. The betrayals, the heartbreak, the ruination of everything she called home, everything culminated in a harder, less forgiving Jaina, and this was something she struggled to reconcile within herself. She couldn't allow herself to continue to be taken advantage of because of her naturally kind soul, but she wasn't comfortable with giving up her dream of peace and coexistence. This conflict eventually led her to leave the Kirintor Council after they voted against her to allow Moderate Horde back into Dalaran. Once again feeling betrayed and frustrated with what she saw as an inevitably bad idea, she left to become an independent entity on Azeroth, leaving Kirintor under the leadership of Khadgar. She still fought for the Alliance valiantly, but felt lost with herself. In the most recent expansion, Battle for Azeroth, the Alliance learns of a Horde partnership with the troll race of Zandalari, and a battle at Stormwind Harbour ensues. The Horde were driven back, but at a great loss to Stormwind's naval fleet. They realise they might need more support on the seas, and they look towards the great naval islands of Kul Tiras. As we explored earlier, the Kul Tirans had cut themselves off from the Alliance after Jaina's actions at Theramore, leading to the death of their leader, her father. But these were desperate times. Acutely aware of the hatred Kul Tiras felt for her, Jaina decided to journey back to try and mend the broken bridges and gain their support once again. When she arrived in the main city of Boralus, she was immediately arrested and taken to her mother, the Lord Admiral Catherine Proudmore, to stand trial for her crimes. Seated by her mother was the advisor Lady Ashvane, who influenced Lady Proudmore into treating her daughter as a traitor who needed to face justice. And so, Jaina was exiled, sent to an island that none seemed to return from, that supposedly reeks of evil, where we, as the champions, are sent to recover her. We find her staff upon the shores and realise she has been taken to a different realm upon the planet, known as Thros, the Blighted Lands 
This was home to an ancient race led by the fiendish Gorak Tool, who held a deep-seated hatred for all Kul'Turans. No humans who set foot on the island make it out alive. Gorak Tool was not the type to take prisoners. With our help, Lady Catherine Proudmore realised her trusted advisor, Lady Ashvane, was toxic and wanted to usurp the Proudmore family to take the position of power for herself. Upon confrontation, Ashvane admitted this double-crossing nonsense and escaped, leaving Lady Proudmore to call upon us in repentance to help save Jaina from the Cursed Realm. We do so, defeating Gorak Tool and arriving back in Boralus just in time to fend off a bitter attack by Ashvane and her band of merry mercenaries. Jaina was given her father's pendant, which by some magic could be used to summon the legendary Kul'Turin fleet, and with this powerful naval presence, they defeated the attackers and forced Ashvane to surrender. Jaina was named Lord Admiral of Kul'Turis, and the Kul'Turis fleet was used successfully to drive back the original alliance threat at Zandalar. Sometime after all of these hometown issues were resolved, the alliance caught wind of a ragged horde fleet and decided to pursue them to finish off their already ruined naval fleet for good measure and in doing so, were manipulated into being deposited on the shores of the new zone of Najatar. Now, if you've listened to my previous podcast, the next bit might seem a little familiar, for the true threat in Najatar was none other than Queen Azara herself. Quickly to recap, Azara was an ancient queen of the Highborn Elves around 10,000 years ago, who had a bit of a hand in helping the original Burning Legion find their way to Azeroth, and in doing so, found herself and her loyal Highborns lost deep at sea, helpless and doomed to certain death. That is, of course, until the old god Nazoth offered her an escape. The salvation of herself and her people for nothing more than a lifetime of servitude. No big deal. Azara, ever the talented negotiator, demanded a place of equality next to Nazoth, and Nazoth, needing someone to carry out his plans while he was trapped deeply inside Azeroth, agreed. Azara and her highborn were transformed into the fearsome sea-dwelling Naga race, and over the years grew in power and renown in secret. It was here upon Najatar that Azara would play her hand. Jaina was forced to ally with the native Ancoans, inhabitants of the island, both helping the other survive, and their investigations found the Naga using very specific weapons. Weapons created by the one and only Lady Ashvane. It seemed Ashara had actually saved Ashvane after her surrender and made her begin to produce weapons. Ashara wanted the Horde and Alliance to fight and weaken each other to make her job a bit easier, but Jaina was not so easily swayed, once again pushing for working against their common enemy rather than each other. And so both the Horde and Alliance forces stormed Azara's palace, fought the incredibly powerful Naga Sorceress, and almost succeeded, until Azara's plans came to fruition, using the combined power of the Gathered Horde and Alliance to shatter the bonds on her master Nazoth, and while she was almost defeated in the process, Nazoth ultimately saved her when he became free. And that's the Cliff's Notes on Jaina Proudmore at this point in time, Lord Admiral of Kulturas, advisor and surrogate aunt to King Anduin Rin, the most powerful human sorceress alive and one of the most influential members of the Alliance. As you may have noticed, the main NPCs don't do things by halves. Blizzard do like to add random bits of backstory into the stories of these NPCs as things are released though, so, you know, who knows what we'll find out in the future.
The next person I want to mention in any great detail on the human side of the Alliance is one Gen Greymane, a man of varied past who now sits as another advisor to King Anduin. Gen is the king of the walled city of Gilneas, which was a member of the Alliance in its original inception as the Alliance of Lordaeron. He's also a worgen, though he presents as a human. Throughout the history of the Alliance, Gen is shown to be a selfish, stubborn man who honestly only mildly redeems himself in latter years. Taught by his father that asking for help was a weakness, this sentiment would stay with Gen for his whole life and colour the Alliance's relationship with the people of Gilneas. When tiny young Anduin sought health and refuge after the initial attack upon Stormwind, Greymane was the only ruler to allow his arrogance to dismiss the threat, convinced that his armies would not possibly fall. He did eventually offer the support of his armies, but not until he'd been a pain in the ass about the whole thing, and really, the support was tokenistic, designed to show support to keep good graces with the other kingdoms so as not to harm their trade opportunities. When the wars had concluded, Greymane decided that, in fact, he did not want to put money towards the interment of captive orcs, or the building of defences to keep the ruins of the Dark Portal safe. He complained he'd gained nothing from the war other than to have dead Gilneans, and decided to leave the Alliance, isolating Gilneas behind their mighty wall, going as far to ban refugees and refuse aid to desperate people outside their walls. When the armies of the Scourge Undead came knocking at his door, it took a few days for Greymane to realise that, in fact, their armies had no chance against this infinite army. These were desperate times, so he looked to desperate measures to save his people, consulting with one of the mages of Kirin Tor, who had discovered that there was a way to summon creatures from another dimension, which he could use to bolster his armies and fight off the undead. So the order was given, and these feral creatures were let loose. These creatures were worgen. Not long afterwards, the curse these worgens carried was transmitted to the human soldiers on the front lines, and they began to infect Gilneans inside the wall. In efforts to quell this threat and keep the people of Gilneas calm from the rising fears, hunting trips began to shoot these feral worgen on sight. And this ended up with Gen Greymin himself being bitten and becoming infected. He hid this from his hunting group, lest they shoot him too, and looked towards his sheer stubborn willpower to stop the curse taking hold. The Worgen storyline goes into much depth, but the end result of this curse's hold over Gilneas is this. The curse spread to all Gilneans, but they were able to control its effects to stop them going full feral through a partially effective treatment thanks to the Night Elves. Sylvanas Windrunner set a plague upon Gilneas, rendering it uninhabitable, killing Gen's son in the process, and Gen was lost, his once powerful kingdom, now a shadow of its former self, uninhabitable, and thanks to his own isolation, with no allies to call upon for help. The Night Elves would once again help Gilneas, offering the survivors refuge in the home of Darnassus, but it wasn't until his wife and daughter almost perished that he reconsidered joining the Alliance his old dad's advice really doing a number on him there. However, thanks to these tragic incidents, Gen now has a newfound respect for the Alliance's fight, or perhaps just a burning hatred for the Horde, but he firmly stands beside the Alliance against the threats of Azeroth. He hasn't entirely lost that straight-talking stubborn streak, but he's certainly less combative now than he was. He hasn't entirely lost that straight-talking stubborn streak, but he's certainly less combative than he once was. The Alliance have fought against and alongside the Horde over many years, defeated the demonic Burning Legion multiple times, 
fended off political threats and off-planet horrors, and fought old gods to defend the land of Azeroth. The main leaders aren't perfect, they're doing the best they can in horrifically tough situations, but they aren't impervious to negative influence, and while a lot of people consider the Alliance to be, in air quotes, the good guys, this is definitely not objectively the case, with much of the hatred that leads people like Arthas down dark paths of corruption, putting their moral compasses in the grey area. You might be wondering what happened to the other defectors of the original Alliance, so very briefly, here's what happened to the High Elves. They left the Alliance originally because, quite frankly, their king felt they were above the conflicts posed to the southern humans, seeing themselves as superior and largely untouchable. When their home, Calthalas, in the northern tip of the Eastern Kingdoms was the first to contact the Scourge, they were soon overwhelmed and almost annihilated completely by the undead army. Very few survived. Of those who did, most decided to abandon High Elf as a race name, adopting Blood Elf as their new moniker, many joining the Horde, some undergoing an arcane transformation that turned them into Void Elves, and a very small number retaining their High Elf title. Of these High Elves, Verisa Windrunner remains close friends with Jaina Proudmoore, and an assault leader for the Alliance. And if that name sounds familiar, yes, this is Sylvanas' sister. Sylvanas fought valiantly to save her home from the Scourge invasion, and paid a devastating price for being a thorn in the Lich King's side. The other kingdom to secede from the Alliance alongside the Elves and Gilneas was Stromgard. That decision was placed on political and diplomatic tension, and the kingdom suffered for it, weakened by wars and nearby ogre attacks, the murder of the king by his very own son, before the Horde finished them off and the leaders were raised to undeath. The land itself was a point of war between the Alliance and Horde for some time, until very recently the Alliance regained control once more. Stromgard basically met a similar fate to the High Elves. The Dwarves of Ironforge had a large part to play in all the battling, and specifically in the case of their former king, Magni Bronzebeard, who is now made of solid diamond, in helping the heroes fight the foes that threatened the very core of the planet. And Kalimdor has had his own heroes of the Alliance across the seas, like the Night Elves and the later arrivals of the Draenei. And the Pandarans who were undiscovered, their islands shrouded by mist until very recently, partially joined the fight after the Alliance helped them with their own demons. Literally. So to summarise, at this point in time there are seven options when choosing a character for the race you'd like to play as under the Alliance banner. First we have the obvious, the humans originating from Azeroth and predominantly holding Stormwind. Then we have the gnomes of Nomragan, peculiar and technologically obsessed, gnomes joined the alliance when they needed help dealing with a threat that had decimated their home. The dwarves of Ironforge had been allied with the humans since distant memory, and much like most Tolkien-esque dwarves of fantasy, are largely Scottish accent-wielding forge dwellers who love to pick a fight. Night Elves joined the cause when the Legion invaded their home in Kalimdor. Once immortal, their necessary sacrifices in that battle meant they soon had to adjust to mortal life, and they've sworn to defend against the Legion at any cost. The Draenei were driven from their home to the world of Argus, hiding from the Burning Legion and eventually finding Azeroth, helping to defeat the Legion with some staying behind on Azeroth to fulfil their commitment with the Alliance's fight. And then we have the Worgans, humans of a walled city called Gilneas, who are cursed and partially cured to some degree, giving them enough sanity to not be 100% feral werewolves. Finally, we have the Pandarans, who are the only class available to both Horde and Alliance players due to a faction split within their base. 
And those are the base races of the Alliance. Humans, Gnomes, Dwarves, Night Elves, Draenei, Worgen, and Pandarans. Additional to this, the latest game expansion, Battle for Azeroth, brought five additional allied races to the Alliance's ranks, but you can only obtain these variations by grinding out reputation with in-game factions, rather than accessing them from the start. These include the Ethereal Void Elves, the most committed Lightforged Draenei, Fierce Dark Iron Dwarves, Portly Cool Tyran Humans, and most recently, the Mechanomes. Plenty of choice. And that's where we stand now. The Alliance, headed up by High King Anduin Rin, and advised by numerous additional important people I've not yet mentioned. The Alliance symbolises the fight for peace upon Azeroth, committed to honour and justice, and finding their feet in this new world of terrors from within the planet and universe-wide. At this point in time, there is an uneasy armistice between the Horde and Alliance, as attention is pointed toward Nazoth and the greater threat of the Old God. But that won't likely hold for long, and Sylvanas Windrunner seems pretty set on shaking things up even more. Perhaps we may even see a little more of Bolvar, the Alliance hero, an ex-King Regent, who headed the fight against the Scourge and sacrificed himself to take the Lich King's helmet once Arthas was defeated, so the Scourge could remain controlled. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope in the future to be able to go deservedly into much more detail about other main players in the Alliance's effort, like Malfurion, Elaria Windrunner, Velen, and more, but there never seems to be enough time and I have to stop writing at some point. <laughs> and once again, if you've enjoyed, please feel free to let me know via Twitter or Instagram at Leviathan. It does take me a very long time to research and write these podcasts, so it's good to hear when you found them useful. Until next time, explorers. Bye! When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.